0: Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey.
1: Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. You know, human brains are hardwired for empathy because we associate those near to us, friends, partners, family members, so closely with our own selves, says psychologists out of the University of Virginia. It stands to reason then that being kind to cheer someone up makes us feel good too. Yet it is very common, especially during Mental Health Awareness Week, that you are encouraged to be especially kind to reflect on the last time you gave or experienced kindness. Kindness strengthens relationships, develops community, deepens unity and moral elevation. Affectionately known as the lexicon contagious. It is the cornerstone of our individual and collective mental health. Today, our guest is going to help us understand and explore this hidden superpower and how kindness makes you win at work and connects you with anyone. Adrienne Bankert is an Emmy Award winning journalist, author and speaker. She's a national correspondent for ABC News. Adrienne is often featured as a featured host on Good Morning America and World News Tonight. She has covered most of the historic headlines of the past decade and the biggest stories in sports and entertainment. She was the first national correspondent to go live from the 2016 Dallas police shooting, reporting in Thailand on the rescue of the youth soccer team, and the 2019 murder of rapper Nipsey Hussle. From the Oscars, Women's World Cup Finals in France, and from both coasts, she was has interviewed major names, including Kobe Bryant, Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford, Dwayne Johnson, Lady Gaga, Viola Davis, Will Smith, and Scarlett Johansson. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome to the show, Adrian, who is here today to help us learn how to unleash our hidden superpowers. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Oh, thank you so much for that introduction. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. It is our pleasure. You know, during this time, we need your voice more than ever. And mm-hmm. I truly enjoyed your book, which we have right here. So, thank you know, you. I have to start by just having you help us by just diving straight into your book. Because you say, which really stood out to me, that kindness is just not What you do, it is who you are. So can you kick us off by helping us understand that concept?
2: Well, it's interesting because throughout my life, I thought about ways that I could be the most authentic. You know, even at a young age, I wanted to just be real. And I didn't want the exhausting job of having to put on and take off a mask. And so I thought, what's the trigger to true authenticity? how do you make this super simple? Because I think a lot of people who are into mental health, who are into meditation, have excellent uh, exercises, right? For how we can cope with problems and how we can be more positive. But a lot of times it feels like it's too hard. It feels like it's too systematic. And I thought, surely as people, we were meant to be real. So what's the trigger? And the trigger for me was being kind. Because when you think about being kind, that is your highest and best self. That is the person that your parents wanted you to be. That's the person your parents wanted you to marry. That's what you you know, consider one of your top three things that you want your kids to grow up to be. So I thought, wow, when you're kind, you are being you. And looking up the definition of kindness, you know, seeing that it wasn't just thoughtfulness and consideration, but it was also nature, natural propensity and determination. And I thought, wow, we were literally programmed, I believe, from inception to be kind. It's just that life is unkind. But once you get back to identity, you can face the problems that you have in your life. You can overcome them with your true self. That that really was a big part of writing this book.
1: So you said two words that are going to stand out to me. Obviously as a psychotherapist, you said being authentic and your true self. Yeah. So how can you, can you share a little bit more with us only also from your own personal journey? How does someone know in your opinion, that they are truly operating from their authentic self and their true self?
2: I think that you have peace in your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Peace is not something that a lot of people use, you know, in a professional environment, a Mm -hmm. corporate environment, but I guess you would call it your gut response, right? Mm -hmm. So following your gut is so important. Listening to your gut, it's something that as young women, we have followed and sometimes misread when we thought about, you know, in dating, you know, is this the right person for me? Right. <laughs> um, I can only speak from a woman's perspective. I don't know if men go with their gut. I just know we as women, and you, I'm sure Dr. Lacey <laughs> would approve. We, we, we endeavor to hear that little voice inside. We endeavor to better hear and understand what our conscience is saying. And so in the study of kindness, I realized that when you're following warm impulses to help people, when you are prompted to use your conscience for other people's benefit, you know, oh, I feel like I need to buy that person lunch or buy that person coffee or make a phone call to a friend or even check on somebody that you don't know that well, but you maybe know through a work environment or as a colleague in the business that you're in, somebody who's a contemporary and think, you know, they didn't seem like themselves last time. Maybe I should check on them. Following all of those impulses actually increases your muscle strength for listening to that little voice for yourself. I call kindness listening to your conscience for other people's benefit. And as you do it for other people, you actually develop an intuition for your own life, your own crossroads moments, and listening to that voice so you know what's right right now.
1: So essentially our kindness and our authentic and our true self is already inside of us. So it's yes. about us getting in touch with ourself And then that consciousness will be the outpouring, that little nudge that says, to your point, buy that lady a coffee, ask her how she's doing, or even smile at her when I think about muscles the muscles in our face. (laughs) (laughs) We need that more than
2: ever too. I mean, we're all covered up in masks in public. But when I think about- the fact that we're on Zoom calls more often, we're in interactions like this where we're meeting people for the first time on a screen. It's like, "Hi, how are you?" Mm-hmm. and Endeavoring to have the most connected moments, even though things are not as connected in, you know, real life. Um, I think that smiles mean so much more. You know, one of the practical applications to kindness that I've been encouraging people to do is send a video text. You know, video works for mm-hmm. TikTok, video works for Snapchat, video works for Instagram video works for facebook and yet we still have just those words on a screen when we're connecting with people who we deem important to us whether it's for a sale or it's for a marriage or it's our kids but what a difference it made when i noticed that if i sent a video text and I sent a message text message 10 to 15 seconds and just let somebody know hey i'm thinking about you you're amazing and i can't wait to see your face it just created a moment instead of just a checklist item in communication
1: this takes 10 to 15 seconds to create that video and you can make yeah. someone's day. It's so true. And they all see a face
2: rather than what they see when they go to the grocery store or the post office, which is just um, a piece of fabric across somebody's grin that they can't see. So it's like, how can I create more human interaction in a practical way that doesn't take me so long? Oh, I can send video. Hello. That's mm-hmm. what I'm compelled to watch every waking hour of the day with my phone right next to my bed, you know, on my nightstand or in the bed with me. Um, and I thought this is a no brainer. So um, just one practical way that people can stay connected and keep smiling.
1: Well, practical ways are great because it's something that we can <laughs> remember and we can do. So, yeah. you know, most people do think that they know what kindness looks like, but right. how can our viewers and listeners in your Expertise. Hey, you wrote the book on kindness. <laughs> and start to be kinder, especially during this current, you know, world climate and all the state of affairs that's been going on this year.
2: Yeah, I've been thinking lately, because I just read an article about how when you're so positive, it could be a negative. You know, when you're too positive, when you just say, Oh, it's all working out, it's gonna be fine, that can be a negative. And I understand that side of things. I really do, because I've never been, you know, somebody who's Um, I, I would call myself somebody who's not super warm and fuzzy, even though other people would say, yes, you are. I'd say, no, I don't think of myself as super warm and fuzzy. I think of myself is, um, pretty practical, (laughs) um, spontaneous, but very direct. And I've had to learn how to wrap my directness in a warm and fuzzy blanket sometimes for people or make it more gentle. So I think that when you're sharing conversations with people, it's okay that you're not Mrs. Pollyanna, for those of you who remember watching that movie, or you're not somebody who says everything with that you know, sweetness in their voice. Be yourself, but just take it from that other person's perspective and think about how they communicate and maybe wrap it in that warm gentleness that might not come naturally to you. You're going to have to practice it. That's one side of things, right? And the other side of things is you can be an optimist with empathy. You can relate to people. You can acknowledge that there are problems in the world because they're, they're not something you can ignore, right? However, you can still remain optimistic and kind. The world needs people who can keep their cool under pressure. The world needs people right now who can be problem solvers. And it's a proven fact, if you look at psychotherapy studies, if you look at psychology studies, that when you panic and when you are enraged, it is really challenging to communicate and it's really challenging to hear someone else. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't mean that your feelings aren't justified for yourself. That's your perspective and you are, you deserve that ability to express yourself. However, a lot of times for me, when I've had an intense and heated moment with somebody, I have to step away and I have to come back when I'm more level-headed. And so it's like, let's be real here. The same things that apply in a personal crisis, you know, with all the motivational talks that we listen to and all the inspirational speakers we subscribe to, they do work in a global situation as well. They work in a global crisis. Kindness works whether you're going through something personal, one-on-one, in your family, or facing this crisis. We need to remember to keep lighting the end of everyone else's tunnel while we are creating a light for ourselves as well.
1: Remember to light the end of someone else's tunnel while we're lighting it for ourselves. Yeah. And then the other thing that, I, that I'm hearing that I think is really important is that We can be kind and authentic in our true self. And it doesn't mean we have to be fake in a sense, Um, because I think to your point, sometimes people can hear certain types of terms and they think, well, I'm not going to be fake. I'm going to be who I am. Well, you can be who you are, but still be kind. Yeah, because the fact is, is
2: that we're all different. You know, I'm from a big family. And when you come from a big family, typically there's at least one strong, big personality. And I know I'm one of them. (laughs) I'm not the only one, (laughs) but I'm one of them. And I've had to learn to speak to different people in different ways because just because I have a strong personality or a very like loud, um, I like to talk, you know, there are people who are quiet and those are the ones I've learned need to be heard. And so the quieter ones, the thinkers, the processors, you know, I use my strength now in communicating in a more upfront way to endeavor to get the quiet ones to open up because they can teach me something that I don't know from my perspective and experience.
1: So that means we also have to be present and notice the people who are around us and that the world doesn't revolve around us. Yeah. Situational awareness is a big part of kindness. There you go. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned about having a big family. So you have a, ch- a chapter titled, someone is always watching and you said to, you said it was said to you by your mother. Yes. How has that influenced your life in this, in this book?
2: I think it influenced my whole career. Um, Hmm. You know, I think without knowing it, your parents will actually give you wisdom for the rest of your life based on your destiny. I think it's something that starts around this age of your son, eight years old to 12. You can start to look for clues for their own destiny, but also you're going to start to say something to them. And without knowing it, it's going to stick in their mind a little differently than it would at age two or four or six. And they're going to process the world differently based on your advice or your instructions. So my mother started saying, somebody's always watching when I was a young child. And she said it many years into teenagehood. I, I remember her saying it. And she said it almost in a way to put the fear of her or God in me. Like, you better not be doing something because somebody's always <laughs> watching. But she also said it in a really gentle way to just remind me that, Adrian, you're a role model. Adrian, your brothers and sisters are watching you. And so unknowingly, that was preparing me for audiences that were invisible. You know, we're on television. We don't see our audiences, but they're very much there. We're on social media, and we have massive audiences that we'll never see Mm face-to-face. And everything that you post on social media, I've encouraged people to practically see that social media virtual reality, what goes on online, is just as much reality today as a face-to-face interaction. So don't see this wall up of like a fourth dimension where this doesn't matter. It matters very much. And it matters so much that it's akin to a handshake. It's akin to an introduction at a networking function, especially now that we're highly digitized and a lot of interactions that were at the office or were at a cocktail hour are now online. And so treating those interactions as though somebody is not only watching you, but they're watching what you post. They're watching what you've deemed important to say on that stream of video in your Instagram stories, right? And so they're not necessarily dissecting, but they're thinking about what you're thinking about and they can read between some lines. And so I always run whatever I'm gonna post through my kindness filter and think, is this something that would be right to post? Is this something that would be kind to post? Is this something that would be appropriate to post?
1: So pretty much everything that we do online should be consciously thought out because it's gonna represent what's in our head, essentially. It's going to
2: represent us, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And then you mentioned about mom putting the fear of God in you, so to speak. (laughs) So with that being said, how does faith play into not only your life, this book, but with being kind?
2: I think that for me, kindness is so universal. You know, it, it reaches across every person, no matter what their beliefs are. Atheist, You know, if they believe in a Christian faith or a Jewish faith or... Episcopal. I'm just trying to think of the different uh, Muslim faith. Mm -hmm. They, I mean, there's nobody left out with kindness. And so, to me, I think the beauty of kindness is that no matter what your background is, you subscribe to it in some fashion, Mm -hmm. because it's about treating your neighbor correctly. It's about being. good human. It's about leaving a legacy for those who are watching you, your children or those who you are an influencer for, your mentors, your mentees, your role models, right? So I think for me, it's, it's a sign that we are all connected and that we are all seeking something bigger than ourselves.
1: So then, you know, we're talking about this year, you know, so many have experienced loss, right? And there's been a lot of frustrations. There's there's anger with a lot of the protests that were going on this year. Disappointment. So, so what would you say to that person who feels all of those emotions as we, you know, talk about universal the universal principles? But they find it challenging to be kind because they're not even kind to themselves. Adrian, like, mean, what would yeah. you say to that person?
2: Well, first of all, you do need to be kind to yourself. Um, a big part of this, and in, in times of my life where I was the least kind. Because writing a book on kindness doesn't just make you this kindness expert, but without showing you where you're not kind, right? <laughs> it's, it's a very um, stringent um, process of looking at yourself, self-reflection when you write a book on kindness, like, oh, wow, I should have done that a little bit more um, thoughtfully or said that thoughtfully. And so um, in the times where I wasn't as kind as I should have been or could have been, it was when I wasn't taking care to be kind to me. You know, a a lot of times I noticed when people would not show me the respect I thought I deserved, I realized I wasn't respecting myself. And I had to look at those different areas of my life with with honesty. And so for anyone feeling the grief, number one, I want you to be kind to yourself. I want you to take time because if you don't take care of yourself, meaning, you know, practicing uh, meditation or whatever it is that feeds your soul, um, making sure that you go, if you can, to a spa or get a massage or get your nails done, something to make you feel good, getting your hair cut regularly. I just got my hair cut today. I have to tell you, I was a little bit scared because I didn't want to lose more length, but I said, Matt, my, I, my hair feels like it can like breathe in oxygen again. It's been so long since I had a haircut because of the pandemic and because of closed businesses. But treating myself, taking care of myself in that way has allowed me to not take it out on other people. And watching women who work very hard and who take care of their children in addition to a career and who nurture everyone but don't have time to nurture themselves taught me that at an early age. And I think it's really vital that we teach this, even in schools, to show people that you're valuable and you're so valuable, I wanna make sure that you are nurturing yourself, you're eating healthy food, you're making decisions for yourself as if you were your best friend. That's part one. It keeps you a lot more able to handle the stress of life. Part two is because of grieving, and it's been a collective grieving for different reasons, for different communities, for different neighborhoods, for people of different backgrounds. There's a portion of chapter 10, uh, Kind Resilience, that actually speaks to how you should treat people who are going through grief and loss and and how you can. It's not a should, you should do this or else you're not kind. It's more of a, these are the suggested practices that I found because when people are going through grieving and suffering and and mourning, really, uh, loss, they often forget the things, the simple things. I've heard a lot of people, including protesters, you mentioned that, who came from those protests completely drained, just depressed and and somber and wanting to hide under the covers, just taxed just with everything that they're facing and everything that they're talking about. I mean, it, it is not an easy conversation. And so to treat people with kindness can include you taking care of those things that they may not see because they're going to a mission, they're, they're, they're on a cause, they're, they're, they have a focus. And um, I noticed that it's as simple as ordering them lunch or dinner saying, you know what, let me get food for you so you don't have to think about it. For people who are grieving in terms of a family member who has suffered COVID, um, the contraction of that disease, whether they're in the hospital or whether they lost a loved one too, and I have people in my life, many people do. Um, it's as simple as saying, is there anything I can do for you? Can I take your car to get washed? and I'll f- And I'll fill up the gas tank. It's those things that could be overlooked because there's way bigger fish to fry. Um, And for people who are traveling, a lot of people are nervous about travel, but some people are traveling and maybe they have to travel out of town for a loved one, buy a plane ticket, use your points. You know, so many of us have points that just stack up and we're not traveling. Why not collect some friends together and do that? I have a assistant. She actually spent money, her and her other mutual friends to buy meals for furloughed workers who she knew. And then she would also use her money because she knew she wasn't going out as much. She wasn't shopping as much to actually buy the meals of nurses at hospitals. And I just was so moved that she would take the time to do that. But there, those are just a few ways that you can practically help in the grieving process and maybe your own.
1: So Part of it is when we notice someone who is grieving whether it's a friend or a family is they have to eat they have to have their house cleaned or just the acknowledgement, just the acknowledgement of their pain you know, cause sometimes just recently was speaking at a, um, a church where they had lost their first lady at 38 oh. years old. And we were talking about wow. grief and that sometimes people are just afraid to acknowledge someone else's pain. So yeah. when I, what I take from what you're saying, Adrian, that's also kind, it's kind to lean into someone, acknowledge their pain and let them know in a different way that I see you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind.
2: That's, it's, it's pricelessly kind. Um, and I, I think I might have touched on that—that that a lot of people don't know what to say. It's not that they don't want to do anything; they just have no idea what to do. And so I thought how uh, simple it would be to just write down some ideas. You know, write a card. If you don't know the words to come out of your mouth, then write those thoughts or intentions down on a card. Have other coworkers sign it if it's something you know with somebody at work. Um, give them a book or a gift that's helped you in your grieving process. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that many times and, you know, flowers are great for some people, but for some, for others, it might just be like, you know what, let me help watch your kids for the afternoon. So you can go out and get some fresh air and maybe take a drive. And, and people are sometimes going to be a little surprised. Um, maybe they're going to feel like it's a little bit intrusive. Sometimes you're like, Oh my gosh, like I don't let anybody help me. But we need to help each other right now, and we need to be aggressively kind. Uh, in fact, sometimes you have to like give people evidence that you're not backing down on your kindness, not in a pushy way, but more of a, listen, I'm serious. I will watch your kids. I'm not just saying this for sentiment. I'm saying this as, I want to be there for you, and I'm with you in this.
1: And thats I'm right there with you, Adrienne. Sometimes, I the expression I like to say, sometimes it comes to guys stay in people's business when they don't want you to, because they're mm-hmm. not going to necessarily... Some people feel like you're they're bothering um them yes. if they're and, and that's not the case. More more people than not want to be seen, heard, and to feel like you can acknowledge their pain and hold space for them where they're not judged and they can just be. And you know, I had a client um, the other day that talked about exactly what you just mentioned about helping a friend out and she was watching their kids. But she said, Adrian, that she did it through Zoom. <laughs> they didn't feel comfortable having her over. So she just went, she was still in the house, but she put a computer in the room and she was watching their kids through the Zoom. So there are creative ways that people are doing That's that. exact a thing. a good
2: idea. Kind of like um, the baby cam, but like there's a live person monitoring it 24 <laughs> seven.
1: Yes, and, and it's amazing, well, especially with, with kids. I know with my own son, when they know somebody's watching, even if it's through a screen. <laughs> I'm telling you, I talk about
2: that because, and that's why I say somebody's always watching because kids act differently when they know somebody has their eye on them, and adults act differently when they know somebody has their eye on them. And I think that that actually raises the value for a child or for a grown up to know that they're important enough that somebody is watching them. <laughs>
1: I love that chapter. Mm -hmm. So before we um, go to, to our commercial break here in a minute, share with us the inspiration, your overall inspiration for writing your hidden superpower. Well, it was my mentor's
2: idea. You know, kindness is something that, um, and he's my executive coach. He's a lot of things. He wrote the foreword to the book, but he had really endeavored to teach me kindness years ago at a higher level. And it's important in my industry and so many others, when you are interacting with people on very tight deadlines, high pressure, demand, stress, tight quarters, you know, like when you're a reporter in a local market, I mean, now you might be the camera person, the audio engineer and the reporter. But when I started in the business, you had a cameraman by your side the whole day. And that might be from four in the morning or two thirty in the morning until one in the afternoon. And that's a long time to be with somebody in close quarters. And so you you either will learn kindness or you will not. And and the opposite of kindness can be an apathy. It can be um, a pessimism. It can be just kind of numb, like just not socially engaged at all. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be able to um, kindly influence people and to make a difference in their lives and make it enjoyable to work. And so um, a big part of this was just seeing that in an industry where things can be really intense, no matter where you work, you can be a game changer for people when you apply kindness. And that was really the inspiration for it all.
1: You can be a game changer. Yeah, we have to say that again. <laughs> you apply <laughs> kindness. I think yeah. sometimes it's um, underrated, um, and it means so much, and it makes such a difference because it reminds me of uh, Maya Angelou's her sayings. People won't mm-hmm. remember necessarily what you say, but they'll remember how you feel. And yeah. it sounds exactly what you're saying to us today. Yeah, people remember that, and it and it really can
2: be the only thing they see that day your kindness could be the one moment of light that they have and how far will that carry them? They'll make, it'll make a difference. That's the big thing. It'll make a difference.
1: It does make a difference. There's been so many stories that I've heard just in psycho as a psychotherapist where someone was contemplating suicide or they were contemplating um, just not wanting to be here anymore. And someone smiled at them or someone was kind to them. And then that moment it shook their thought process up because I look at it as someone saw them in that moment. So you never know who in that moment, if you smile, you acknowledge, because sometimes, you know, pre-COVID especially, we're walking around with our phones and not necessarily looking at the people around us. So um, sometimes just taking that moment and smiling or acknowledging that person around us. That's so so true. I'm a big believer in what you just said, huge. Well, we, um, that's why we are talking to you. You wrote the book, the Hidden <laughs> Superpower. So we are going to take our commercial break. And we are here with the author of The Hidden Superpower. And she's going to continue to help us during these times. So we'll be right back.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
0: Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at LifeCounselingSolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It.
1: Well, welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. We are here with our special guest, Adrian, who is the author of The Hidden Superpower. So she's helping us understand and learn the true meaning of kindness. And, you know, Adrian, as a psychotherapist, you know, of course, I'm interested in learning how you um, can protect How do you protect your mental health so that someone listening or watching can also be inspired by your story, especially coming out of these times that we're in? Yeah. Okay. Let me just give a few triggers because trigger is one of my favorite word, uh,
2: words. Um, I've learned that things that seem negative can be a positive trigger for kindness. And so, uh, one of my earliest kindness stories was back when I worked in local news in Sacramento and I actually, had a coworker yell at me, like, snap. And I wanted to snap back so bad. Back then, they didn't call it a clap back, but I wanted to snap back. And um, I held my tongue. You know, I didn't say anything. Found out later that his mother had passed away the night before. And he lived with her. And I thought, oh, my God. First of all, I'm so sorry for his loss. Second of all, I'm so glad that I didn't say anything because what would my conscience feel like if I found out that I'm yelling at the guy whose mama just died? So I created a positive trigger in my head. Anytime somebody raised their voice or spoke ill of me or not ill of me, but ill of the situation, just negative, um, I would immediately go back to that moment and say, somebody must have died in my head. I would never say it out loud, but somebody must have died in my, and I would rehearse the feeling of compassion that rose up in me when I found that out. And um, another trigger that I use is I imagine the difficult person or the person I don't really appreciate as much of that moment, who isn't treating me the way that I think they should, I imagine that they'll only be on the planet for 24 more hours. Mm. And here's why. Because a lot of times I hear people who are you know, personal development gurus say, live like it's your last day. Well, I don't have any intentions on living like it's my last day because I plan on being here for a long time. And I thought about, I was like, no, I'm going to live like it's their last day. Mm. Because if I do, then I know that time is short And whatever I do with them in this interaction, in this last 24 hours of their life is going to not just mark that moment. It's going to mark my life because they're gone in my head. You know, they're off the planet, but I still have to face the feelings and the words that I said to them in their last 24 hours. How would I feel if they were going to die tomorrow and I just cut them with my words? How would, how would Mm -hmm. I feel if I can't make amends? How much guilt would I carry? I can't afford that in my life. I can't afford that much regret. And so I know this is large and it seems dramatic, but you, I've learned with the mind, you have to make things really big in order for them to really sink in. It's not something like, just take a quiet moment. You know <laughs> That doesn't mm-hmm. work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, my mom would ha- say, you know, Adrian, if you're angry, just punch a pillow because she didn't want me to mess up my knuckles if I hit something like, A person or a wall, (laughs) and so she like punch a pillow, you know, to not let your anger cause damage. Um, But I would have to trigger myself to stay in a space of compassion because I've been there on somebody's deathbed. I've been there when a loved one or a coworker has died within 24 hours of my talking to them or a visit. I've been there, and so and I'm glad that that happened to me at a young age because it put. A button in me for compassion because I know how much compassion rises up in me, even for people who are difficult, even for people who have a past that isn't so pretty when I know that they have short time. And and those are just two ways that I keep my mental health in check because it's easy to get really upset and to go nuts. And then my third way of calming down if I feel out of control or I feel sad or I feel depressed or I feel any of those feelings is to reach out because the feelings that we feel that cause us the most mental anguish are feelings that isolate. And isolation is a lie because, again, right now we're going through extreme isolation, but there are ways and methods to stay connected. And for anybody listening who doesn't feel like they have a friend, who doesn't feel like they have a tribe, there are a number of resources online. I'm sure that you share them here, Uh, but please call a hotline, call a coworker, call somebody... My, my biggest uh, pain or my biggest heartache during this time has been for the people who feel alone. And loneliness comes in many different ways and many different shades, but it's for the people who feel alone because I know what that feels like. I have family members who've gone through that kind of isolation and mental anguish. And um, I just, I fight for them. This kindness message, I really do fight for them because it is the worst feeling in the world to feel like you don't
1: have somebody to call psychological isolation for a lot of people have brought up through this pandemic a lot of mental challenges and we've had an uptick in mental health services as a result so I appreciate you saying that and then you also reminded me of in the seven habits of highly effective people Stephen Covey he talked about a um story where a father was on the subway actually in New York city with his three young sons. And they were just rambunctious. They're running around the car, the the cable car, just doing all types of stuff on the subway. And the people on there were being annoying. They were annoyed. And they're wondering why is this father not controlling his children? So as he was leaving, getting off at his stop, someone had asked them and he said, their mom just passed away in the hospital. And I haven't told them yet. You know, so to your point, you don't necessarily know what people are, are going through yeah. and, you know, and, and, and during this time, just being kind, leaning in and letting people know. And I appreciate that message. You're not alone, even yeah. though you may feel alone because that psychological isolation says that nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. And then there's shame. And then you further isolate yourself, which leads to depression and then leads yes. to a lot of other um, mental challenges.
2: Yeah. And and I, I just want to clarify because I don't want anybody to think that I take lightly real isolation that it is. When I say it's a lie, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it because it's a very real feeling and it's happening all over the country and all over the world. It's happening for the people who are dying inside of hospitals who can't be with their family. I mean, it is literally cutting people off. And so I don't want people to think that it's not tangible I just want you to know, to fight, to believe that there's someone on the other end of that phone. There's somebody in in your life, in your circle of friends, you know, and that's why it's so important to me to show kindness because there are many people who face and fight loneliness who are professionals, who go to work or, or work from home every single day. Everything looks fine on the outside. They're smiling. They're wearing nice clothes, but they're the walking wounded and they feel rejected. They don't feel accepted. They don't feel like they have a tribe. And it's, I, I, I understand that this is very real. So again, I don't wanna say it like isolation's a lie. Like you just, everything's gonna be fine. Kind of like our earlier conversation in the first half hour. I don't want you to mistake those words for those listening. I just want you to hold out hope that what is more true than the isolation is that not only are you worth not giving up on yourself, But there's somebody on the planet who still believes in you and needs you more than your pain. I'm telling you that the pain is so deceiving because it causes us to think that nobody cares. It causes us to think that we don't matter. It causes us to think that somehow our purpose got lost when we got sidetracked or when our marriage failed or when things didn't go the way we thought they would in our career. But for me and for so many others, I am telling you that one of the greatest gifts in the world is knowing authentically that there is nobody like you. There's nobody who's ever gonna be like you for the rest of all history, for the rest of all time. And so you by yourself, maybe you feel alone, but all by yourself, you are the most unique you that will ever exist. There is no one who can duplicate you. And you might just hold the answer and hold the key for someone else's truth. And so please don't forget that. So
1: don't lose hope essentially turn, even if it doesn't feel that way in the moment, your pain can be turned into a purpose, just hanging, hang on. I really appreciate that because someone needed to hear that tonight. You know, so that leads me to your chapter in the book, chapter nine, Mm -hmm. where you titled it, um, being kind to your crew. (laughs) If we kind of, um, transition to being kind to your crew. And in that opening line, you have many of us, if not all of us, fall prey to career baggage. What exactly does that mean, Adrian? And, and how can we recognize it in our own lives?
2: Well, we put, especially when you're ambitious, we put so much weight on performance as purpose. We put so much weight on performance as identity. And so at work, we actually use that as a measuring stick for our worth, for our value, for our progress, for our um, success. It's very challenging to separate yourself and your identity from what you do for most people. Because of that, it is so crucial that we understand who we are authentically, the kindness identity, you know, purpose-centered identity versus performance-based identity. identity. Because the other side of performance-based identity is feeling very terrible for every mistake you've ever made in your career, feeling horrible because you didn't make it far enough or you didn't reach a goal by a certain age. And you work with other individuals who are facing that same conundrum. And so you'll be in an interaction with somebody and there'll be tension or there'll be an argument or there'll be miscommunication. And it has nothing to do with either one of you. It's based on how the last boss communicated with you. It's based on how the last manager spoke to you. And so as we free ourselves from that emotional baggage tied to a past job, we'll actually be able to work at work with purpose and not performance because the performance is I have to do everything right. The performance is I don't, I can't afford to make a mistake. The performance is I have to work this much harder than so-and-so. I have to prove myself. I have to do this before I can follow this dream. You know, we create these stories in our minds based on baggage from our family, but also from previous employment. And so In operating in a state of kindness, I've actually been able to stay more current with where I am and with where other people are, and not prejudge a situation at work based on what happened five or 10 years ago, but actually be in the moment, be aware of the person before me or in front of me or working beside me or working under me if I'm the manager, and actually cause myself to be at attention with that person. And then my truest gifts, my talents. The things in me that make me shine are actually accentuated because of kindness. And that leads to promotion and open doors and opportunities
1: that just trying to kick doors
2: down won't won't achieve.
1: So essentially when we're living in our conscious living space, we're going to be aware that we are operating from narratives. And then in psychology, yes. we call it projection. We're constantly projecting onto people things that are historical mm-hmm. versus in that moment and then you know and then what happens and then we're reacting as if and yes. the other the other key point that i heard you say that i want us um, our listeners and viewers to take away is that performing and auditioning to get validation is not healthy for us but yeah. when we're walking in our true purpose we'll eventually get the validation because we're walking in our true purpose
2: yeah yeah and it, it takes the pressure off you know um being in live television I used to think I had to be perfect Mm. and you can't make a mistake because it's live. (laughs) Like this is live. And, um, something that I am glad that I worked towards early in my career was that TV actually taught me and helped me teach others how in television, the show must go on. So even if you do mess up, even if you do say the wrong thing, number one, you have the power to stop immediately, just like I did earlier in this interview and say, wait, let me clarify. You know, if, you, if something comes out wrong, you actually have the, the power. Nobody else can take that power from you. In that moment, no, wait, let me, let me, uh, I didn't say that quite the way I wanted it to come out. Let me say this again. And you can edit right away, immediately on live TV even. And it actually covers a lot of the mistake because people see you as human. They see you as relatable. And kindness does that. You know, when people know you as being kind, they actually cover your back a lot more than they do if you're not. And then the other part too is in that show must go on mentality, you can't beat yourself up because you aired on television. In, and the same thing in life. Okay, so you messed up. The show must go on. We're not going to stop the whole show because you messed up. We're going to move on to the next story we're going to move on to the next script the show must go on so even if things have happened in your career that you didn't like the show must go on even if you didn't get that promotion that you think you you deserve the show must go on what's next next scene next take next script take two let's go
1: there was probably about two um shows ago that i had a um coach on cheryl williamson and we had a conversation after the show, exactly what you were talking about, because I had, I had literally Adrian, I had stumbled while we were recording live. And afterwards she said, you know what, Janie, I'm glad that that happened because somebody mm-hmm. needed to see that because they're not starting their show or they're not starting their podcast. They're not starting something because they think they have to be perfect. Right. And in those moments, you know, when they see and exactly what you're talking about, the show must go on when they see that people are not perfect we're all people that in that it inspires other people that they don't have to get at a (laughs) hundred to start or to walk or to live in their or to follow their dreams.
2: Yeah, really. And that's life. Like, I just know that when somebody says you're so real, that's one of the biggest compliments you can give someone. And it's because they see that you're legitimately seeing them. And then when you do make those edits, if you don't do it in a deprecating way, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. I just completely screwed this up. You feel worse for that person when they're doing all that. Like, you're just like, oh my God, I'm nervous for them. But when they just say, oh wait, hold up. I didn't do that right. And just do over, do over. <laughs> then you laugh like you are now you giggle, you smile, and then y'all move on. And, and I think that in life, a lot of us are so hard on ourselves thinking we have to be so perfect, but I liken it to a dancer on a stage. The best dancers can cha-cha their way out of any misstep, you know, where you didn't even know they made a misstep. It just looks like they freestyled for a second. And that is way more interesting than hitting every single solitary movement as if you're a robot. People don't want to see robots. They want to see real.
1: They want to see real. (laughs) Yeah you know and I and I appreciate that because I think a part of that is we learn those lessons as you are bringing those wisdom lessons to us tonight because we have yeah. mentors and coaches and role models along the way so who were those that most impacted your life and influenced your kindness in this world adrian
2: <laughs> well it's interesting my first mentor was my hairdresser um, Tay back in the day when I was a teenager, I started getting my hair done professionally. I started, my mom took me to a real salon versus doing my hair at home. Uh-huh. And we all remember those days, right? We all remember that first salon visit. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so she was so cool to me and she was a mom. She had her own business. She was in real estate and she was young. And I just thought I want to be just like her. Mm. That's what I want to be. And I was her assistant and shampoo girl. Uh, for a number of years and she just was always pointing me to something aspirational, you know, you can do more. And then after that was my current mentor, executive coach, Bill, and he was the one who inspired me writing a book on kindness because without him, I would not have, I I would have thought other people know what to do. They know how to be kind. Um, And he's always taught me to just get to know people more, get to know how to work with people more, but get to know myself you know, and, and I think that holistically, as we deal with more people and as we learn how to communicate, you know, I love what you said at the beginning, and I'm trying to remember what you said about kindness being, oh gosh, you said it like it was a universal language, but then you used a different term and it was so pretty. lexicon contagious. Yes. I was like, who said that? I want to know who said that. I've never heard the lexicon contagious. It's so cool. And I just think that as I've been kinder to people. I've learned how to be kinder to myself, but I've also learned how to be kinder to different kinds of people. A more ver- more variety in terms of personality traits and and style, and it's made my world larger. And and one of the scariest words that I've heard is that as you get older your world gets smaller. I remember being in a class at work and it was like a self-improvement or personal development class and I literally was like, "No, I don't want to get my world smaller smaller as I get older." And um, it was all about, as you get older, your friends move away, you move away for marriage, for work, then your friends start dying. And I'm just literally like, okay, somebody stop this movie. It's terrible. And then I realized that in some people's lives, they, it does get smaller. And I wanted to expand my world as I got older. And I thought, how do you do that? Well, you you are kind. And as you're kind, you express so many languages that are universal to so many people and you make friends everywhere you go. I mean, that's really what I think about. I make friends everywhere I go.
1: So when you're conscious and you get to know yourself, then when you encounter different people, as you have different people across the country, around the world, you're still going to be kind because you're conscious and you know who you are and you know how to move in that space. And then that means you don't take everything personal. It's also what I hear from that message.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and you're kind enough to forgive yourself because you're going to mess up and you're going to have unkind moments. Um, Some of the strongest words that I heard from myself is when I said one day I wasn't kind enough. I was like, I'm not kind enough. Mm. And I thought really what I'm saying is I'm not enough. Mm. Just because you have an unkind moment doesn't mean you're not a kind person. It means you had a bad moment. So get right back where you left off and remember that it's not about a scorecard. It's about this growth journey where you're developing muscle memory And pretty soon you'll have a knee-jerk response of kindness and
1: compassion more times than not. It's not about the scorecard. It's about you building that muscle. I like that. You know, there's a a section in the book and we can't discuss kindness without discussing (laughs) this part. Um, And that is what kindness is not. Mm -hmm. And I wonder for you, what can you share with us? Kindness is not. What can you share with us?
2: Kindness is not being a doormat. Mm. kindness is not um, just being quiet all the time <laughs> kindness is not um, being someone you're not or being just a percentage of who you are to appease people kindness is not people pleasing mm. um, kindness is not uh, putting on a face to avoid conflict uh, sometimes kindness is conflict when you have a mentor in your life, they sometimes say things that are very kind to help you grow that you don't want to hear, and so you have to be teachable with kindness. Kindness is teachable, and kindness is open, and kindness is friendly. And so, um, but yeah, don't ever think that kindness is weak, because it it, it really infinitely is a superpower that allows you to be a hundred percent yourself, and no one can duplicate that. That's what makes you unbeatable. So we need to say
1: this again, Adrian. Kindness is not being a doormat. (laughs) Kindness is not being a doormat. No. It is not being a people pleaser. And kindness is also sometimes in conflict because those that love us, care for us, they're not going to watch us um, not be our best self. They want to encourage us because that is being kind. Yes. Yeah. Kindness
2: doesn't allow for self-sabotage. It's unkind not to be who you were called to be on this planet. It's unkind not to express your gifts and talents and strengths for the world to see it's unkind for you to be less than authentic. So we can't afford to not
1: be kind. So the greatest way that we can be kind to ourselves is to get to know ourselves. Yes, and to move in our true and authentic ways and to take the mask off. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Just be real and flow and forgive yourself and forgive other people. And ultimately you will be at a much more fulfilled and sweet place.
1: And forgive. If we had time, we could dive into that because that is definitely That's a, a conversation <laughs> to, to talk about when we talk about being kind, especially working in the trauma field, a lot of yeah. um, things there. So if you were able to summarize your book in one sentence, Ooh. what, <laughs> in one sentence, Adrian? what do you want us to know and remember from your perspective as the author? Wow.
2: I would want people to know that kindness ultimately will bring you the connections that you're seeking. See, a lot of people are looking for the next job. They're looking for the next person, whether it's a love interest or a friend. But I will tell you this, if you are kind, chances are your answer is right around the corner, right under your nose. Be kind and you'll make the connection that will give you the
1: answer that you've been looking for all this time. So the first step is just to be kind. Yeah. First step, kindness. (laughs) Well, we certainly appreciate you taking the time on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey because we all have a hidden superpower in us and you were helping us bring it out. So if people want to find you, follow you, work with you, I think I saw you have an e-course, um, yes. where can they find you?
2: I have several e-courses. Um, right now, uh, they can go to adrianbankert.com, my website. And you can click on a, the eCourses link. Um, also, superpower.com for the book. Um, but the book is listed on my website. And they can also find us on Instagram. You can be with my page at AB on TV. That's A-B, my initials, on TV. Or at The Unbeatable Kind on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Well, there you have it, Adrian. We appreciate your time. And uh, we look forward to many people from this um, episode and listening to purchase the book and start being kind today. Because in these current times, one of the important lessons that we can learn is the importance of being kind to ourselves and others. In the words of Adrian, no matter where we go and what we do, as we come to a greater knowledge of kindness, we will be supercharged to overcome any odds. So until next time, as I continue to embed kindness, this is your host, Janie Lacey.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week.